And for me, supply chain is where the magic happens. That's the invisible thing. Within the magic, the most magic part is actually the global trade. Because there are so many containers crossing the borders, and not a single one of them can move without some digital paperwork in place. Supply chains have got to incorporate global trade as an important component of delivering value to their business and don't just view it as a cost of doing business. It really can provide opportunities to deliver bottom line savings and that supports your top line growth while at the same time driving global compliance. Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain podcast. My name's Richard Howells. I'm a Vice President for Thought Leadership for SAP's ERP Finance and Supply Chain Solutions. And I'm joined by my co-host, Nicole. Hi, everyone. I'm Nicole Smythe, and I'm a marketer, blogger, and of course, podcaster in the supply chain space here at SAP. So today we're joined by our two guests, Tron Rovang and Linda McGee, our fellow SAP colleagues, to discuss how global trade processes are key to not only moving goods around the world, but also their support for compliance with ever-changing regulations and requirements. So welcome, Linda and Tron. Thank you both so much for joining us today, and it's great to have you two on the series. So to kick us off, could you introduce yourselves, your role at the company, and a little about why this topic is important to you? Thank you. Yeah, so if I should go first, even though it may be against good behavior, but anyway, my name is Tron Robang. I'm a solution manager for Global Trade Services. I've been with SAP now for 15 years, but I still claim that I once had a real job in retail. And for me, supply chain is where the magic happens. That's the invisible thing. Within the magic, the most magic part is actually the global trade. Because there are so many containers crossing the borders, and not a single one of them can move without some digital paperwork in place. Yep. And I'll introduce myself. I'm Linda McKee. Like Tron, I am a solution manager here at SAP for our global trade services solution and been with SAP more years than I'd like to admit uh, in my 25th anniversary this year. So it's uh, been a long time, but before joining SAP, I was a foreign trade consultant and a large telecommunications equipment company and really enjoyed the foreign trade part of my job and then had the opportunity to join SAP, originally came into our high-tech industry area and then had the opportunity to come back and focus on global trade services about 10 years ago. So work on the topic every day. So really excited to have that discussion with you today. Trond, I think you've given the quote to use for the rest Great. of the podcast series. Supply chain is where the magic happens. Love it. So let's start with you. What would you say are some of the key areas you see companies focusing on to manage international trade and to minimize the challenges that they face? Yeah, I think that really varies. I think we can divide them into three distinct areas, a little bit depending on the situation of the company, the industry they are in, and of course, the actual situation. But obviously, risk mitigation is key. You know, we all see in media now sanctions and embargoes. So obviously, the cost of non-compliance can be massive. You know, it's not like a parking ticket. It can be a significant percentage of the company revenue. So obviously the risk of non-compliance combined with, you know, the need to actually document reasonable care is important for many companies. Some learn it the hard way. Of course, then we have, let's say a classical supply chain focus where it's all about streamlining the trade processes and avoid, yeah, let's say untimely or unwanted delays. 
And you need to do that by automating because some of these things are time consuming. Ensure that everything is in place before you start to ship. Many companies learn that the hard way. So for many companies, it's obviously about streamlining supply chain, avoid the delays. What we see more and more companies focusing on is actually the third pillar, because obviously there is a margin squeeze out there and a topic like preferential origin and even simplified customs procedure can represent huge savings. You can delay and defer duties. You can make significant savings, either helping your customers directly or obviously improving your own margin. So across these three areas, compliance, the customs processes itself, and trade preference, we see customers come with different levels of urgency and also maturity. That's interesting. And when thinking about global trade, the first thing that usually or often comes to mind is compliance, like you've mentioned. So to tag on to that, is that always the major driver making companies work to improve their global trade processes? Yeah, it's definitely a key driver. We often see this is why it results in some of the global trade teams reporting up through a finance or legal organization where typically broader corporate governance resides. But as we're discussing today, global trade absolutely has an impact on supply chains and a vast number of customers, I would say at this point, even the majority, do have their global trade responsibilities reporting up through their supply chain managers. And often those supply chain managers will have a perspective that's a bit different than the compliance teams. Absolutely. And actually, let's continue on with that because I think especially a lot of our listeners are probably in that exact situation being at that manager level. So looking at it from their perspective, what are those global trade topics that they're most focused on? Yeah, a lot like the overall supply chain processes, the best global trade processes are are often those that are less visible that you don't even really know are there. When they're working well, the business may not even be aware of all the effort (laughs) that goes into supporting a truly global business. But When there are problems, global trade comes into focus very quickly. So supply chain managers really do have to give a lot of attention to probably one of the top priorities is avoiding any delays. You don't want to have one of your containers containing critical components held up in customs because the paperwork isn't accurate or it's not available. Another would be, as Trond already touched on, is really bringing global trade into your broader supply chain processes so that it's a seamless part of all those other processes, such as transportation or warehouse management. Folks don't always think about those directly with global trade. They think, okay, transportation, I'm going to arrange those shipments, get them loaded, get them on their way. But they can't move without, as Tron said, having the accurate documentation. So being able to proactively check for global trade issues. So before the goods ever get to the dock or you start booking carriers, it's really important that by having global trade part of those supply chain processes, you can proactively start to identify issues and avoid delays. And then again, minimizing costs, always top of mind for I think everyone, especially these days, but we know supply chains are constantly squeezed to reduce some of their costs and reduce those expenses. So by automating a lot of their processes and really focusing on some of those manual activities where you've had to maybe increase staff at times. We see a lot of companies come to us because they know they need to automate those processes because their volumes are increasing, but they don't want to have to go add personnel. So 
really managing those costs is always very top of mind for those supply chain managers. Compliance is always important, but I see the supply chain folks tend to be much more operationally oriented and they want to be compliant, but boy, they've got those day-to-day issues they have to deal with. Growing in size and number, for sure. (laughs) You mentioned automating some of the processes, but are you also seeing digitization of the processes in that historically we were talking about paper copies of everything and the paper trail and, and losing documentation? And has digitization helped that in any way? Yeah, absolutely. And that's something we've focused on a lot for, you know, and not to be too specific, but things like being able to present your customs declarations electronically to customs can really speed things along. I I was talking to one of our large semiconductor companies and they have some processes in Southeast Asia where they have to have people literally take documents schedule time at customs, walk over, sit down, go through with their customs documentation, go through their bills of material, all of this by paper. And they'd found so many times where they thought they had all they needed and they walk in and they're missing one page of a document or a field hasn't been filled in. So by having automated processes where your system can default most of that data in and then being able to transmit that electronically really can speed things up. And we see a lot of increasing interest there. It continues to amaze me. uh, Some of the biggest companies in the world still have some heavily manual processes. And as I said, are literally walking paperwork to customs. So digitalization, which I never roll off my tongue very well, is absolutely another key area. And if I may add a few comments to that, because obviously we see that the requirements regarding traceability is also increasing. The expectations are increasing from customs. We have seen that, you know, in Europe now for some years that if you were running a customs warehouse, you could basically document it in your own bookkeeping. And then maybe you got an audit, maybe you didn't. And now all of that is supposed to be digitalized, meaning that every single movement in your warehouse must be documented or less in real time, transaction by transaction. And that's a lot of data. And you know, that's a natural consequence of the digitalization of the community. So many customers of our now have obviously work to do the next years to be compliant or to stay compliant. (laughs) Right. And let's stay on that topic of compliance a little bit because ESG regulations, there's over 600 regulations out now around environmental, social, and governance. So it's receiving great attention, both from businesses, by their customers and regulatory bodies who are driving these regulations. Tracking the origin of a material to its source through multiple suppliers is an example where the ESG requirements are increasing within the supply chain. Are you seeing similar ESG regulations and rules impacting global trade processes? Definitely. I would say that ESG is kind of the new wave in global trade barriers. And of course, a lot of it is driven with the best of intent based on, let's say, ethical grounds. So and we see that by more and more other governmental agencies are involved in the declaration process. We have this concept of single window, which is spreading, where goods will not be declared before other authorities have also secured that the product is safe has its origin, no forced labor has been involved, etc. Another prominent example is what we now see with carbon emission. We have EU now implementing what's called CBAM, Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism, 
officially it's about, you know, leveling the playing field so that regions where there are, let's say, low costs for polluting somehow need to compensate for that. So depending on your views, I mean, and I'm slightly cynical, so this is for me, just another trade barrier. We had it before with labor costs. That's where we have preferential region and free trade agreements from. And now we see it coming full force regarding, let's say, sustainability factors. And CBAM will have a huge impact in Europe, but not only in Europe, because obviously these ideas are spreading. We will see corporations between regions in the world, and we will see similar regimes. And of course, that adds complexity because you need to trace not just the physical, you know, manufacturing origin, but you need to somehow also collect the emissions as part of the whole supply chain. And obviously this will become a challenge, but it will definitely not go away. And I think that will change as well as people are moving to actual emissions rather than using averages, which is probably the case in most companies at the moment. Yeah, and to avoid that, if you're looking at EU, if you can't document your real in a trustworthy way, they will basically assign you an unfavorable number, basically motivating you to do the homework and even improve. Yeah, yeah. And I'll mention one thing because I think folks, as I'm based here in the U.S., I don't hear as much about CBAM from our customers as Tron does from those in Europe. And so they may be thinking, yeah, that won't necessarily impact me since I'm headquartered here in Chicago, but it absolutely will. Because if you're selling into the EU, those customers are getting to know about the emissions of your product. And so anyone doing business in Europe, you're absolutely going to be impacted by these CBAM requirements. So don't assume because it's coming out of the EU that you won't be impacted. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, we're seeing it with the plastic tax, with the German due diligence act, everything like that. Even if you're, like you said, based in the U.S., when you're working on that global scale, it's going to affect you in some way, somehow on that full value chain. So yeah. really having that visibility and that knowledge ahead of time is so key to it. So I completely agree, Linda. And plastic are a great example of where do you want to manage it? I think all of us here in the U.S. now know about paying for your plastic bag as you check out. Versus in other countries like Spain, they're going to check those imports and the types of plastic before it even comes into the country. You know, and so around the world, I think every country is trying to deal with how to best enforce these new regulations. That's one of the big challenges as well. A different standard. There isn't a standard plastic tax. Varies country by country in Europe at the moment. And that must make it more difficult from a business perspective to keep up with all of those different regulations. Yeah, it was. It's utterly complex. When I see all these requirements, staying compliant is a miracle, actually. And how can you do that without actually having integrated processes end-to-end? -end? Because you need to know how your products has been constructed, what they consist of, where every single component was originating. And so it's, you know, without actually an integrated process, I mean, good luck. That's my best advice. Yeah. Richard, you bring up a really great point around global trade and standards. I think folks that maybe aren't as familiar or maybe haven't been involved with some business where there are supposedly standards, be it region or country, but we all know standards are only standards to a certain level, that every country wants to have sort of their own flavor potentially of that standard. So Again, caution some of the U.S. companies that think, oh, look, the EU issued this new regulation and every country is going to handle it the same way. And 
That's where, you know, we spend a lot of time managing those standards, but down to a country specific level where every country, you know, France wants to handle something slightly differently than Germany or other countries, even within the EU. So yeah, global standards is a nice concept, but in practice, it's hard to find them. <laughs> yeah. The word standard, a bit of an oxymoron. Yeah. We've, yes, we've got standards. We've got lots of standards. Yeah. <laughs> Emphasis on oral. So, <laughs> yeah. If you look at it historically, it's a little bit, you know, we always have had this initiative to simplify global trade. It has not gotten any easier. There are way more reporting requirements, even within a community like the European Union, than ever before. So, it, yeah, we will not run out yeah. of work and definitely not our customers. No, that's right. Talking of customers, I mean, you must speak to lots of customers on a daily basis. What are you seeing as some of the top priorities that they're looking for in order to deal with these global trade challenges? Yeah, and I'll probably sound a bit redundant since we sort of touched on many of them. But again, automating those processes where they're really sub-optimized today. As I mentioned, some of the biggest global companies in the world still have a lot of manual processes, especially in their global trade areas. As supply chain folks know, you don't always get the most investment within your company. It's not sort of sexy and cool always to have a new supply chain solution. And it's very similar for global trade. So by automating processes and being able to really demonstrate value to the business, it's really a top priority and avoid all of those delays and errors that happen with all of those manual processes. Another top priority is really gaining visibility to all of your global trade activities across all of your operations. Recent supply chain delays, I think, highlighted to a lot of folks that where you thought you were in good shape in one country or region suddenly becomes a big issue. If something goes wrong or there's trade war or governments have a disagreement and suddenly your supply chain and your global trade processes are being heavily impacted. So really getting visibility across all of your activities, which can be extremely challenging because so many businesses still have very heterogeneous system landscapes. There's not just one system that's going to meet every need you have everywhere in the world across all of your business processes. But there are opportunities to really standardize some of your global trade activities. As we said, you know, every country may do things slightly differently, but if you can find a way to have a global trade solution that really can support you anywhere in the world and give you some standardization so that you have visibility to what's happening, you can see what's happening in the EU or in Singapore or in Australia, but still have the flexibility to deal with each of those country-specific requirements. And the standardization isn't just a way to get visibility, but you can actually save some costs. We started to see companies where instead of having a complete global trade team in every single country or every single region, they've looked at, you know, what processes could we possibly centralize? One area I've seen several companies do that with is an area where you have to screen all of those customers and suppliers and partners you have around the world and make sure they're not on any of those sanctioned or denied party lists. Trying to assure everyone is doing that process the same way in every country can certainly be challenging, but it's also very time consuming. So we've seen companies maybe organize a centralized team. They may be working 24-7 around the world, but taking that process assures that you've got consistent compliance if there's one team managing it. Plus, it allows those people in country to really focus 
on those customer-specific and country-specific requirements. And I'll also touch on one other thing, that visibility applies not only to the actual operations, but the ability to go in and do reviews and audits of those processes. I think most folks would be familiar if they've ever had a customs audit. It's not something you want to hear about. It probably strikes terror into some of the hearts of those that have to deal with it, similar to you hear your own personal taxes are being audited. It's not a fun process. So having those standardized processes and making sure that they're documented, that you can demonstrate we have processes in place to deal with this and also to produce the appropriate information when you're audited. And that goes for your internal audits so that you're reviewing yourselves and checking and even being able to self-report where you find an issue. Customs folks often appreciate the fact that you're self-reporting and that can really help if there are going to end up as fines and, and penalties. So, you know, automating, getting visibility across all of those operations and then really standardizing and having documented processes that you can support and prove that you're doing due diligence with all of your global trade. Absolutely. And I think those top priorities and concerns that you talked about really go hand in hand with new technology that's coming up. You know, that digital transformation and really digitizing that full process can alleviate a lot of the stress that falls on the supply chain. And of course, like the key players, like you talked about, those centralized teams. So Linda, again, turning to you, is global trade really leveraging these new technologies, you know, such as AI or blockchain? And is this something that customers are actively requesting? Yeah, it's definitely a topic in the global trade area when we're responding to customers when they're asking about our solution. AI is always referenced. Many of them are also including, you know, do you support blockchain? Don't see a lot of specifics around, you know, what the use cases of blockchain are. But I would say AI is one that's probably leveraged the most in terms of some of the newer technologies. We see customers wanting to leverage for some of those really highly repetitive processes. So areas of product classification where you have to use those harmonized tariff codes and apply those to your products, especially in areas where you may have very similar products where you make shoelaces or bottle caps or something where there's not a lot of variation always in the classification you use for those products. And People get tired of applying the same classification to their products over and over again. Or if there's a change, how do we deal with this quickly? So AI can absolutely help in areas like that classification where it learns from how you've classified products previously and can apply that as new products are created that need to be classified. Blockchain is one where, again, there's been a lot of buzz. We hear a lot of it. I've gone through several proof of concepts with a range of customers where we've taken a use case and a scenario and said, this is great. You know, we're going to digitally share all these documents and have security in terms of who can access which documents. And it's going to speed everything up. And we've proven absolutely blockchain can be applied and used in those cases. But a couple of challenges are most of the companies that we've done this with have existing networks in place, especially bigger companies have been using EDI for years and years. There's been some heavy investment in that EDI technology. It may be old, but it works and you've already made the investment. So how do you identify the added value of a blockchain network over those EDI networks? And 
that's where we've run into some challenges is you sit down with a customer and you say, okay, we've shown how we can hand all these documents off to each other and you only see what you're supposed to see. So how are you getting a lot of added benefit from that? And we've really seen them struggle to define that benefit. So blockchain networks aren't cheap either. You know, someone has to own that network and be willing to support it and manage it. So the costs can be high and therefore you need high added value. So that's where we've seen some challenges more in the blockchain space than I'd say maybe in AI. So it really takes some good analysis to determine what value are we getting. AI, it's a bit easier because you can say what used to take someone 12 hours, they can now, for example, you have blocked orders because of your screening process. You, you often get a lot of what we call false positives, where it, the system thinks it might be a denied party, but you need to take a look at it. And the large majority of them are not going to be true blocks. So AI can really help to clear some of those. But again, there's some caution where companies are trying to determine, okay, how far do we take that process? Do I always accept what AI proposes and let it just go ahead and change it? Knowing that you and your company are still on the line for those results, that you really need to have a lot of trust and faith in those results. So I think like any new technology, people are still learning and trying to be cautious. You know, you hear about a lot of the ethical concerns around AI and biases that might be there. So, yeah, we're absolutely seeing a lot of interest, but there's still some caution happening. So it, I think it'll still be a few years yet before we see them heavily, heavily utilized in the global trade space. It's hard to believe, but we're 26 minutes into the podcast, so we're coming to the end. And there's one question that we ask all of our guests, so you're no exception. So from your perspective, what is the future of supply chain? I'm sure Trond has some more interesting words, but when I think about it, again, that supply chains have got to incorporate global trade as an important component of delivering value to their business and don't just view it as a cost of doing business. It really can provide opportunities to deliver bottom line savings and that supports your top line growth while at the same time driving global compliance. If I should add to that, I think to see the future, to some degree, the future is already here because I think you should look at the leading companies. And I think when we see the leading companies, those are those that really look at supply chain holistically from planning to execution. And this is all about maturity. And I think this will not get any easier. We see definitely a shift into even more complexity. So for me, the future of supply chain is all about integrating and let system talk to each other in an efficient manner. I cannot see how this can be done in any other way in the future. It's simply impossible. Great. Great answers. Thank you both for a great conversation. It's been really interesting. Thank you for the opportunity. No problem. I'm sure you'll be welcomed back with open arms to future episodes as well. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening. Please mark up with a favorite and you can get regular updates and information about future episodes. But until next time, from Linda, Trond, Nicole and I, thanks for discussing the future of supply chain.